You still doing good? Come on, can we can we just give it can we give it up for the production team? They work. <laughs> they they work extremely hard with the lighting and and media and everything that we do here at Impact Church and getting that ready. And so uh, we want to say thank you to them. And I want to just just let you know uh, next steps. We encourage you to get in next steps. If you've never been through next steps as a part of our church then that's a great place for you to uh, get all the information that you're going to want to know about the vision, the mission, why we do what we do, uh, the structure of the church, all of those things, and also find out how you can how you can join a team, how you can begin to make an impact uh, through our church. And so that's coming up starting next Sunday evening um, at our home for just an hour every Sunday for three weeks, so we don't take a whole lot of your time, but uh, just those three one-hour sessions, we believe we can get all the information we need to get to you so that uh, you can get to know us, we can get to know you, and then you can get connected in the area that you want to be connected in. And also, don't forget to sign up for your iGroup uh, before you leave today. They do begin this Thursday evening, and so you'll want to stop by the, the Impact Store and grab your material, grab your books, everything that you're going to need for that. So be sure and keep that in mind also. And I have, uh, man, we're excited you're here, and I have the the honor and the privilege uh, of having someone, we, as a collective unit, we have the honor and privilege of having Doug and Jeannie Reed with us today. And if you've been through Next Steps, then you you understand more about our government structure as a church, but uh, they are overseers on our overseer board for Impact Church. And he's been here once before, but there's probably a lot of you that were not attending the church the last time he was here. So this is going to be all fresh and new for you. But uh, come on, can we just give it up for Doug as he comes to the stage? I believe you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be challenged. Amen. Well, it is so good to be with you. How many of you were at the marriage conference yesterday? A whole bunch of us. Yeah, yeah, we all just, I mean, like three hours took our marriage to another level, didn't we? All right. So it was so much fun to be with you guys. I'm going to push this forward just a little bit here. Uh, and uh, it's great to be back with you. We really consider it an honor and a privilege to be a part of your overseer uh, uh, committee. And Pastor Gabe and I have been friends for a long time. We, uh, we really appreciate him and Amanda. Don't you have great pastors, amen? Give it up for them. And, uh, and also, we are just fans of what God is doing here, man. Uh, if you wouldn't let me come preach, I'd probably stalk you, you know, on Facebook and stuff. And It'd be weird. You'd have to take out a restraining order and stuff. So uh, I'm glad you let me come preach and be a part of this because uh, God's doing neat things here, isn't he? And don't take it for granted. I mean, life like this is not everywhere. How many of you know this is only the beginning? I, I think by the time we come back again, you guys will be in multiple services. You're going to be in a new building here at some point. And we just really believe that God's doing great things. And we're huge fans and supporters of it. Uh, well, if you, if you didn't have a chance to make it to the marriage conference yesterday, uh, I wouldn't encourage you uh, to stop by our table. I have a series called The Relational Life that would be a great, uh, um, not replacement, but a great uh, alternative, I guess, uh, to what we did with the marriage conference yesterday. And then also, if you enjoy what I shared to you today, uh, there's a series on my table called The Restored Life, and there's actually a version of the message I'm sharing here this morning. Jeannie and I, my wife Jeannie, everybody give it up for Jeannie. She's right down the front. Uh, she doesn't, <laughs> she, just, she just waved like she was in a, in a parade or something. Uh, uh, 
but she doesn't get to travel with me all the time, but we've been doing more and more together, and uh, we head up a ministry called Partnership Ministries, and uh, I almost every weekend I'm in a different church uh, doing a conference, doing a Sunday service, and we also have some special partnerships with some unique churches uh, that really support our ministry in a big way, and we support them, and then we head up a thing called Partnership International as well. I'll be uh, overseas about 50 days this summer. Uh, there's 10, uh, 10 or so groups, about 250 or so people that are going to come with us on missions trips. How many of you know everybody needs to know Jesus? Amen. And Pastor Gabe and I are already strategizing maybe about year three. You guys will come on a missions trip with us, and we want you to do that. And so we got a lot going on, but, but that's not really what I'm here for this morning. I'm here to share God's word. And this is kind of a, a, a relationship theme time of year for you. I mean, you know, um, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up on Wednesday. And, and we, uh, well, not this Wednesday, is it? I'm, I am way off. I'm way off. I don't know. I just love so much that every day is Valentine's Day uh, when you're married like I am. So, amen. Yeah, you can steal that if you want. Uh, but we're going to continue our theme on relationships, and I want to share with you a message today called Getting Back to Eden, Getting Back to Eden, speaking of the Garden of Eden, and, uh, and we're going to talk about restoring God's original intention when it comes to the area of loving relationships. Um, it, it was probably, I, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, I was on uh, just a normal speaking trip. I went to Springfield, Missouri. I live in the Kansas City area, and uh, uh, it was back in the day before these devices had the uh, satellite, you know, uh, uh, mapping programs and all that. And so I was always traveling with a GPS or a MapQuest page or something like that. And and I don't know, my phone had died. My my, I'd forgotten my GPS. I didn't have a map program. And I decided I, I kind of knew the way, but I had decided on the way home from Springfield that I wanted to go a different way. And there's this little area called Clinton that normally you have to uh, just go through it. But if you can make a right hand turn at the right road, you end up going a completely different way home for me. And so I decided I would do that. The problem is I turned about a mile too soon. And I, I, I went and, and all of a sudden I ended up in this place called Truman Lake area. And basically the lake gets in your way and you can't get around it. But how many of you know I'm a man, right? So I don't want to admit that I'm wrong, you know, and have to actually turn around. So finally, I went old school, man. I stopped at like a gas station. I was actually looking at maps, trying to figure out. And finally, the lady behind the counter, she started laughing at me. And she said, uh, she said, you turned at Walmart, didn't you? <laughs> And I was like, like women have a network or something, you know, and, and I was like, how did you know that? She goes, oh, I've seen this before. She goes, you, she goes, you can't get here. You can't get there uh, the way you're thinking. And I said, well, how, how can I get there? I just want to get around the lake, you know, so I can get home. I don't want to turn around. And she said, no, no, the only way you can get home is to go back the way you came. And I can still remember that feeling of going, oh. I got to go back the way I came, but she was right. The only way I could get home was to go back the way you came. And sometimes I think in certain areas of life, relationships certainly being one, the only way that we can get home is to go back the way we came. And so this morning, I'm going to take you to the very first love story in the history of mankind. We're going to actually look at the story where God created this entire thing called relational love. I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first love story 
of all history of all mankind. It, it starts out at verse number 18. It'll be on the screen as well this morning. Uh, it says this, the Lord God said, it is not good. Everybody say not good. It is not good. This is the first not good in all, uh, in all of the Bible, in all of time. It, it is not good for man to be what? To be alone. And so I will make. Who will make? God, God will make, right? Whose idea was this whole thing? Right? Yeah, whenever you're having a hard time with your relationships, you know who to blame, right? God is the one that created this whole thing. And so I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever he called each living creature, that was its name. How cool must that have been? So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. I've got to hurry, but are, are, are there any like like single guys that were brave enough, brave enough to raise their hand this morning? Like, like okay, I, I, I get you. Now, now this is just for free. I won't charge you any extra. I'm not even preaching on this today, but I just want to show you something from the Bible because I'm a really good theologian. Uh, 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 it says this. It's a, I, from, from what I'm seeing here, God gave Adam a job, like in naming the animals, and then you'll see in the next few verses he gets a girl. So you might want to write that down. <laughs> you see how that works? Isn't that really good? Uh, he gets a job. Anyway, you might want to write that down. That's a key. Uh, 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 but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, give me one of these, because he's sleeping. He's sleeping, he's sleeping. We were trying to sleep last night, and our fire alarm went off. Uh, uh, he, he took one of the man, true story, somebody smoked in their room, and they had to evacuate our hotel. Uh, uh, so he took, so I might say anything this morning, there's no telling. He took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with his flesh, and the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. I'm always kind of amazed at how God put Adam to sleep, and then he created his perfect mate. Uh, now, listen, if you're single this morning, uh, especially if you're younger, but, but, but I think anybody that's single and believing that God is going to provide a mate for you, there's a real uh, spiritual principle here. If you will fall asleep in his will, how many of you know God's got your back? Amen. I can still remember in college when I finally decided that I was going to stop trying to date everybody else and I was just going to date Jesus instead. It wasn't long until he presented the person to me that he had for me. If you fall with said, now this is bone of my bone, and we recognize this from like a marriage ceremony, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. I mentioned this yesterday, that if you read that in the Hebrew, the word bone is actually an analogy for strength, and the word flesh is an analogy for weakness. And so really what Adam is just prophetically saying here is that every place I'm weak, she is strong. And every place she is strong, I am weak. And then this very next part, how would he even know to say this? Or, or, or some, uh, It's either Adam or God that is saying this part. He said, this is why man leaves his father and his mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh. In other words, the reason why God created marriage is because you have weak areas and so does somebody else. But God can put core corresponding strengths and weaknesses together. Amen? He can create a divine complement for you and put you with somebody that you are way better and they are way better because of the connection. Isn't that beautiful? And Adam and his wife, the Bible says, were both naked and yet they felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I thank you, God, for the power of this passage and really we could just hang out there but God, you've got some principles to show us this morning, and you've got some relationships to heal. And so God, change our minds, and change our spirits, and change our hearts, and, and update us to your reality, not our current circumstances. 
when it comes to loving relationships today. Use me your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago in a little sleepy village outside of Rome, Italy, uh, this happened maybe about 15 years ago, I believe, there was an 87-year-old man who became famous. His name is Giorgio Angelosi. It's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Uh, not this part, but, but what you're about to hear. He, his wife had died about 12 years ago, and his daughter had moved away. And like a lot of older people, he, at the age of 87, found his days were boring and long, and people rarely spoke to him, and he really wanted some relational connection. And so finally he did something a lot of people would call crazy. He, he made a drastic move. Uh, he took out a large ad at the age of 87 on the front page of Italy largest newspaper and he said this he said seeking a family in need of a grandfather I can bring 500 euros a month to a family that is willing to adopt me Giorgio Angelosi put himself up for adoption at the age of 87 <laughs> he didn't know what would happen but he was an overnight sensation he became famous. You may even remember this. Uh, inquiries came in from all over the world. He was interviewed on talk shows. Even pop stars and millionaires began to respond and advertise support for him. One wealthy man offered the use of his village, his, his villa, his beachside villa, to the family that would adopt Giorgio. One letter among thousands that Giorgio got stood out, though. Perhaps it was because it was signed individually by every single member of the family, and he was adopted at the young age of 87. Giorgio was quoted saying, maybe it's luck or maybe it's God, but I just know that I have found my new home. You see, you were created by God for loving relationships. And it really doesn't matter what age or social status or gender that you are. Regardless of all that, God has put a desire inside of every person on the planet that will be with you till the day you die, that you are to connect with other people. Relationship, really, if you think about it, is God's primary activity in the world. The gospel is the restoration of our relationship with God, but it is also the restoration of us with each other. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just save you, but then he heals you and the area of relationships. Amen? Uh, see, see, relational dysfunction is still the primary strategy of the enemy. I think the way the enemy wants to hurt us the most and what he hates the most about God's creation is our capacity for relationship. And that is why we are seeing the devil himself literally pull at relational fabric in our society one thread at a time. And, and the funny thing is, we have never been more connected and we have never been less relational, right? I, I don't know. I, I, had, I had 497 people wish me my happy birthday on Facebook yesterday. I do not know all these people. I don't understand how they are so excited about my birthday. Now, I'm, I'm thrilled about it, but I don't have a relationship with them. How many of you know God's got something deeper than surface for you? He's got something deeper than digital. He wants for you to connect. See, the enemy hates loving relationship in every form. I, I, I think for us, for my wife and I, we first began to understand this on our honeymoon. We went to the incredible honeymoon destination of Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> we, we were poor. And, and so we had like 500 bucks, and her uh, uh, aunt or somebody owned a trailer on a lake. So, so I actually loved it because we went bass fishing on our honeymoon. 
So you got all the honeymoon activity and bass fishing. That's like man heaven right there. And, 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 and so, sorry, I just had like impure thoughts. But but uh, uh, but 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 I started noticing that on our honeymoon, uh, uh, th- there was kind of an attack happening. Now, I don't want to be like weird or super spiritual, but for those of you who understand what I'm talking about, we kind of faced like this oppression, and it just seemed like the enemy was coming after us over and over again. We actually found out later that there were some weird things that had happened in that trailer that we stayed at. We really think there was a spiritual element to it. But on our honeymoon, I found myself on like the fourth day getting up and kind of happened to do spiritual warfare because the enemy was coming after me. I find it interesting that the temptation of Adam and Eve occurred right after they began their life together. When God created Adam, it's like it didn't enrage the enemy, but whenever he gave him a mate, when he created loving relationship, the enemy decided, I've got to attack that. Why does the enemy hate loving relationship so much? Why does he want you dysfunctional? I think it's because loving relationship is actually a picture of God himself. We talked about this yesterday, how God has perfect fellowship within himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Don't ever say God created me because he was lonely. God wasn't lonely. He created you in his image, and then he discovered that you were lonely. Amen. So he created somebody to be with Adam because he wanted Adam to be like him. He wanted Adam to be fulfilled like he was. See, God is the author of loving relationship, and it is the greatest story ever written. And that's why the enemy hates it so much. Really, if you think about it, loving relationship, when it's done God's way, is as close as you will ever get on earth to the intended perfection that you will experience in heaven. Loving relationship is literally a taste of heaven on earth. Now, (laughs) just said all that, and already I'm kind of feeling it, because a lot of us are probably saying, you know, Pastor Doug, you know, really great, but, you know, my relational history doesn't really read like a a love story. (laughs) Maybe there's some of you here today, and you say, man, it's more like, you know, a horror story, but not a love story. And and maybe you've been attacked at your relational core, and we're going to deal with some of that today. Here's what I believe. I believe that our God is the author of relationship, and I believe that he's never put his pen down. I I think he stands with pen poised, and you might have had some bad chapters, but how many of you know God's not done writing the book? Amen? God can rewrite your relational love story, and he can heal you from the inside out. Your loving author, the author of your story, stands with pen poised, and your relational history has no authority over your future. God wants relational health for you. So let's talk about this. How do we find our way back home? How do we find our way back to Eden? How do we find our way back to what God originally intended? This morning, if you're taking notes, I think there are three what I'll call landmarks to help you find your way home. Three landmarks on the road back to Eden, all from our text. The first one is this. The first one is our desire for attachment. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, and so I will create a helper that is suitable for him. This whole thing was God's idea. 
love, sexuality, attraction, romance, marriage. It is all originating in the mind of God. This wasn't your idea or my idea. This was God's idea. God lovingly crafted you for a loving relationship. And relational desire was embedded into your DNA from the beginning of all creation. God designed you and I for relational love. Everything we know about love, though, our love story, it all starts in the same place. It starts in the garden with two naked people named Adam and Eve. When we want to find out what God meant for us, all we have to do, and thank God for the Bible, we can go all the way back to the beginning and we can see what God intended. See, relational love is a product of creation, not an invention of culture. Uh, a lot of times we get that backwards, right? Because how many of you know the culture's got a lot to say about love and sexuality? In fact, it is nonstop. It is literally dividing our political parties. It's changing even, even some of the fellowship between churches. I mean, it is everywhere in our culture. How many of you know the culture is, try, is constantly trying to act like they made this thing up? But relational love, it's not a product of, crea uh, of culture. It is a product of creation. God is the one that made this up. You were created by God for love. Even if you've got a bad history in this arena, know this, God created you for this. Love for God, love for his church, love for family and friends, uh, even parent and child love was a product of God's creation. And also, you were created for sexuality, and you were created for romantic love. God is the one that created this entire thing. Now, now I, I think I really first started to fully understand this when I was youth pastor. I youth pastored for 12 years early in my ministry. And at the time when I was youth pastoring, there was a lot of youth pastors doing, I don't know if you remember this, Gabe, you're probably too young, uh, uh, but a lot of guys were doing more like, uh, not dating movements, but what, is, what do they call it? Basically, they were against dating. We kissed dating goodbye and, and, and something else. You had to like have a whole bunch of adults involved and whatever. And, and I, uh, courtship, right? And, and, and I always kind of just, I, I wasn't against it, but I was like, I just don't think it's going to work. And here's why. How many of you know, you can't bridle that, right? All you can do is kind of like you're running wild horses, try to get it into the barn, you know. But, I mean, that energy is there. And so I decided that I would just kind of use it for good. I can remember one of our youth groups, we had a family. We were in South Florida, and a family moved to Florida from Sweden. And they had four Swedish blonde daughters. They were the greatest evangelistic tool that we ever had. <laughs> I'd literally just put them on posters and be like, come to our youth group. <laughs> the Swedish girls are here. You know, we'd have to put secu security around them and stuff. It was crazy. But, but uh, <laughs> how many of you know that desire is there? It can be disciplined, but it cannot be stopped. I also discovered that God put this desire in us. And, 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 and probably in my own life, that discovery was, was embedded in my spirit when it came to how God gave it to me in the form of my spouse. I, I, I can remember, uh, I, I got saved when I was 16. I, I, I was the first Christian in my family. I've led my parents to Christ, my brother to Christ, all kinds of things. And, and uh, 
So I was very young, very immature in my faith, but I had this genuine love for God. Got called in the ministry at 17. So a year and a half into salvation, I find myself at Bible college. Uh, some people call Bible college bridal college. And I didn't know that, by the way. But, but they do because a lot of people go there to get married. If you're a pastor, where else are you going to find a wife? you got to go to Bible college, right? And, and so... My first couple of years, I kind of dated a little bit, and like I told you, I, I finally went through a summer where uh, I, I had a really hard breakup with a girl that I was dating, and, and, and I just had decided that I was tired of doing it the world's way, and I was just really going to fall asleep in God's will and let him create this. And so my first, my junior year, the first semester of my junior year, I went back to college, and I had felt like God had spoke to me that I would be married by my senior year. But I was like, I, I just don't feel like I should date. If God's going to make it happen, he'll make it happen. I went about two months, and I was really doing a lot of ministry. I preached over 500 times when I was in college. I was traveling every weekend. And uh, I finally got about two and a half months into that semester, and it was a Friday night. I had a Friday night where I wasn't doing something, and I decided to go to what they called the mission service there at our Bible college campus. And I came walking in, and I was late. I was really late. They were already in the altars. They were already down front praying. The service was pretty much over. And everybody was crying, and there was about 500 people there. And I was like, man, I must have missed something really good. And then all of a sudden, I saw her. There was this one girl, and she was really pretty, and that's what kind of got me. And, and, and then, but then I noticed everybody else seemed to be upset about something, but she had this weird smile on her face. Like everybody else was sad, but she knew something in the, the rest of the room. And I was just kind of standing there, you know, sort of admiring God's creation. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, I, I, I felt God speaking in my heart. It was maybe, maybe the tenth time I'd ever really recognized the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and just as real as I'm standing here today, God spoke to me and said, The girl you're looking at, I know you don't know her, but she's going to be your wife. And immediately I was like, I just received that in the name of Jesus. Uh, this is the best service ever. I can't believe I missed it. And just and just like I just started, you know, worshiping. And, and then what was really weird, I probably should have ran down, you know, and introduced myself. But I was so excited that God had just showed me who I was going to marry that I ran back to my room and I got out my journal and I started writing in my journal. I just saw the girl I'm going to marry. And I just gotten to the point when I was like, man, I probably should have got her name. And my roommate said, hey, dude, what are you doing? And I told him the whole story. I had this huge, innocent heart, and I was just like, yeah, God showed her to me. And he started brutally making fun of me. He said, everybody says that at Bible college. They see a pretty girl, and God's in it, of course. I had never heard of this before. But he was just telling me how that, that was stupid, and I, no way. And I said, well, let me describe her to you. And I described her, and he said, I've got her in a couple classes. I'll tell her about it. Nothing really happened. And, and, and then finally, I, I, I remember I, I, was, I kept trying to meet her, but it just wouldn't work out. And, and finally, I remember I pulled out my calendar, and this is how convinced I was in my spirit. It was maybe about three to four weeks later that I had a weekend off. I was traveling every weekend. And I wrote in my calendar, this is the weekend that I will pursue my future wife because I didn't, I didn't have time for it any other weekend. And so I got really, really busy, and we, we met once, but nothing really happened. And finally, I got to that weekend, and I opened up my calendar. I'm like, what am I doing this weekend? And I look, and there it is. I wrote it in there a month ago. You're going to pursue your future wife. And I'm like, man, I, I, I should have set something up or something, you know, and I said, but I was still convinced, and I looked out the window, and, and, and my, my, now my wife, then a person that was, didn't know me, was just walking across the campus carrying her laundry. And I'm like, 
this is God. I mean, I look out my window, and there she is. And, and so I ran down. I ran. It was about a 200-yard run. But I ran down, and I run up to her, and I'm like, hey, Jeannie. And she she'd only met me once. And I kind of scared her, and I'm like, Oh, man, what am I going to do now? And so I thought, I said, hey, could I carry your laundry? I'm slick, right? I carried her laundry. And so I carried her laundry, and we got there, and she's like, thank you, you know, bye. I had no other plans. I had blocked out the entire weekend. And, and so, so I stayed for the entire laundry experience, and, 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 and finally I carried it back. And she's getting more and more weirded out by the minute. Why won't I leave? And, 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 and so finally I said, she was, she was like, bye, I got to go, I got to go. And, I, and, I, and I, said, I said, well, you know, do you have just a minute? Could you just sit down here? Now, now I do not suggest that you follow my plan. <laughs> We have three kids. It worked out for us. But but uh, uh, but but I, I just I just sat her down and I looked at her. I hadn't really thought it through. And I said, Hey, I just want to tell you a story. And I told her everything. I said, I saw you in chapel, you know, a month or so ago. And and anyway, God spoke to me and told me you would be my wife. And uh, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, how we can make this happen and and uh, how you feel about me. And she looked at me and she said. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not really feeling anything but fear at the moment. And, and, and she said, I got to go. And she left. And I'm like, that did not go the way I expected. And, and so the next month, I basically became kind of a Christian stalker. I, I, would, I would just show up in weird places and just like, yeah, I always come to this flower shop, you know, or I always, you know, whatever. And, 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 uh, and, and she must have turned me down 20 times. And finally, I got to the point where I knew she loved to sing. And I led a ministry team that would travel with me. And so I had a weekend coming, and, and, and I bumped the girl that was supposed to sing. I was like, we don't need you anymore. And, and, uh, and, and I was like, hey, we have an open slot. We need a singer. And, 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 and Jeannie came, and she sang. And, and then afterwards, I made sure the van was too full so that she would have to ride back with me. And, and that was my first date with her. Uh, a little bit of manipulation going on. And, and, and so at the end of, you know, I took her out to dinner that night. And, and at the end of that, I said, well, you know, this was like our first date. She was like, no, this wasn't a date. I don't understand what you're talking about. And, and, and so finally, I started to get discouraged. I started saying, God, you know, how about speaking to me about a girl who actually likes me? I mean, that might be good. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm like, this isn't working out. And, and finally, I had just given up. But it was about two weeks later that we were traveling uh, with that same team. And my wife, Jeannie, she is, she's, a, she's a couple years older than me. And we, uh, we needed a van driver. And we, none of us were old enough to drive the van. And she was just barely old enough to drive the van. And, and so we said, I said, hey, you've been with our team. Would you come? Would you drive the van? And she agreed. And what I didn't tell her was that my mom and dad, I, I, just on the other side of St. Louis, were actually hosting the team that weekend. We were all staying in their basement. Now, we walk in with the team, and I had already told my mom and dad that I would be getting married soon. Uh, <laughs> and so we walk in, and my mom and dad are like, which one is it? And I'm like, it's her, but she doesn't know, and it's complicated, you know? And, and, uh, and, and I'll just give you the rest of the story very, very quickly. As we, uh, as we got to that night, we were all going to go out and minister on the streets that night. We led several people to Christ on the streets of our town there. And, but I, I wanted to do a prayer meeting. I was the leader of the team, and so there was about 20 of us, and I was going around, and I was praying for each member. And by the time I got to Jeannie, I, I really genuinely had more or less given up on, on, on that possibility. I started to think I had not heard God. And so I got to her, and I, and I just prayed for her like I did everybody else. 
Now, she doesn't remember this, but I do. Uh, I, I, I sense that something happened during that prayer time. Just You can just tell. Sometimes you pray for something, you just feel like something, something breaks. And, and I just thought, you know, good, God's ministering to her. I still wasn't even connecting it. She told me later that, that she had been in several abusive relationships, and that was kind of why, part of why she was so adverse to, to this. We're walking up the stairs. And again, she doesn't remember this, but I remember it well. She flirted with me on the stairs on the way up. <laughs> she might have just been breathing and looking in my direction. I'm not sure. But it was on. You know, it was back. Now, I'm cutting through a lot of stuff, but by the end of that trip, she had looked at me. In fact, it was Sunday morning. I was up preaching Sunday morning with that team. And while I was preaching, God spoke to her and said, I know it's crazy, but the guy that's preaching, he's going to be your husband. She walked up to me. We had not even been on our first date. And she said, I will marry you. Six months later, six months later, now we had a little engagement. Six months later, we were married. And I was married four months before my senior year began. Now, again, don't tell you to follow my pattern, but it worked for us. Amen. The point is simply this. The point is I messed it up. I did everything wrong. But how many of you know I'm not the one that created relational love? Amen. Our God is the one that created relational love. And when, when you fall asleep in his will, if he wants something for you, amen, he will create circumstances. And if you're not too stupid, I was pretty stupid, but apparently I didn't get all the way, uh, uh, God will make it happen. Amen. Now, 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 if you say, well, Pastor Doug, if that's true, then why do we struggle so much? I mean, if God wants this so much for us, why do we struggle? I, I believe it's this. Because most of us have placed divine demands on our human relationships. Most of us are asking a person to do what only God can do. Can, can, I, can I tell you, only God can fulfill you at the soul level. And as long as you are asking somebody else to do that, you're going to be placing a demand on them that not only is going to be impossible for them, it's ultimately going to, going to make that relationship dysfunctional and maybe even destroy it. I, you, know, you know, when I was in high school, uh, did you ever notice that the jerkiest guys always seem to get the best-looking girls? Did anybody else but me notice that? You know, maybe it was a guy that was a jock, and he was just on all the teams and whatever, and he, all he cared about was sports, but he always had some beautiful girl, you know, on his arm. Are, are we called them burnouts in our high school, but they were guys that just were like drug addicts, basically, and partied all the time, but they always had some girl willing to go along for the ride. But, but did you ever notice that the sweet guys, you know what I'm talking about? Guys, that got kind of a low self-esteem, and they're always like, baby, I'll do anything for you. It's almost like they're saying, I'm not happy. You're not happy. Maybe we can be happy together. They couldn't get a date to save their lives, right? Now, why is that? Here, here it is. Because the jerky guys, albeit in a perverted way, they are saying, I'm already fulfilled. My life is a party. Come and join the party. And fulfillment, even if it's not the right kind of fulfillment, is always very attractive. Amen? So, so what, here's the principle. Unfulfillment plus unfulfillment will only off only equal more unfulfillment. If you're not happy and you meet somebody that's not happy and you say, if we get married, maybe we'll be happy, bad plan. Bad plan. Because marriage doesn't heal, marriage reveals. Right? 
Uh, you can't ask another person to be your fulfilling factor. But here's the good news. If you get fulfilled in Christ, that is incredibly attractive, by the way. What attracted her to me was not all the craziness. What attracted her to me was not the mullet. I had a mullet in the 80s, and it was... It was spectacular, by the way. Uh, I don't have the hair for it uh, anymore. But, but, uh, but that is not what attracted What attracted her to me was I was already fulfilled in Christ. And, and she is already fulfilled in Christ. And guess what? Fulfillment plus fulfillment always equals more fulfillment. Amen? And, and that's what God has for you. So the first thing you've got to recognize is God made all this up. He is the one that created your desire for attachment. Number two is that you've got to deal with your dealings, or, 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 or the second landmark, our dealings with abandonment. Abandonment is a part of the crash of your original love story. Now, I've got to go fast here. The man said to the woman, or the man said, and this is right after they sinned, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. And the Bible says in verse 24 that God drove man and, man and, man and woman out of the garden. Now, now listen. Adam and Eve were put into the garden, and God said to them, there's only one way to mess this up. There's a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the trees in the garden are good for food and pleasing to the eye. They're all awesome, but just don't eat of this one. Why would God do that? Because God created man with free will. And if man had no way to, to get out of the relationship then he would not have free will. The, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil actually represents the free will of mankind. Now, the garden was perfect in every way, shape, and form. I mean, I mean we know it was perfect temperature because they run around naked, right? We, we know that there were four headwaters, that, uh, the Euphrates River and several others that, that, that started in the garden. It must have been gorgeous. The, the lion is lying down with the lamb. It's, per, it's perfection. It's paradise. It's still, even in our secular culture, when we think of Eden, we think of paradise. So you're living in paradise. Literally, they get to walk with God every day. There's no sin. So literally, they can, just, they can look at the face of God. If we do it, we'll die. But if they get to look at the face of God because they have no sin, and they get to put their hand in the hand of the creator of the universe. I mean, perfection. Only one way to mess it up. Now, 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 if you were them, wouldn't you think you would get, like, some of that orange caution tape or something like that, you know? Like, put it around. Wouldn't you, like, train some of the lions to jump on you if you got near the tree? But that's not what happened. The Bible says they're staring at the tree, they're thinking about the tree, they're talking to the serpent about the tree, and eventually they eat of the tree. Now, now it's interesting because this is where, this is where not only sin, uh, I, I'm off of, off of the slides at the moment, this is where not only sin but insecurity entered the world. Interesting to note that when Adam and Eve sinned, the very, very next verse, Genesis 3-7, says they said oh my god we're naked and they they realized that they were naked now that is so strange because i have never been naked and not realized it you know i, I mean it's cold in missouri you figure it out right away you know it's either cold or hot you're like i'm naked oh no you know but 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 it wasn't it wasn't that they were stupid or, or it was that they were completely innocent and there was no insecurity in the world at all can you imagine that i mean we're filled with insecurities they had no zero insecurity but when sin comes the very next verse oh my god we're naked insecurity always comes in on the heels of sin doesn't it 
insecurity enters into the world, but then rejection comes. You know what Adam says? God comes looking for him in the cool of the day. They're out there, you know, trying to cover themselves with leaves and stuff. And, and, and God says, what have you done? Did you eat of that tree? And Adam, who, by the way, if you study the text of Genesis 2, God never told Eve about the tree. He told Adam about the tree. He told Adam about the tree before Eve was even created. I believe the reason why Eve ate of the tree is because Adam didn't take up his mantle of leadership like he should have. But he says to Adam, you know, did you eat of the tree? You know what he said? The woman you put me here with. (laughs) Amen. Let's blame the women. She did it. Eve doesn't blame Adam. Eve blames the devil. Now, Now listen. Insecurity comes on the heels of sin. Uh, 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 uh. Rejection comes on the heels of sin. It always affects our relationships, doesn't it? And then God has to kick them both out of the garden. So they experience abandonment from God, at least at least in a singular way. But Eve experienced it twice. First from Adam and first from God. Or second from God. Now, now listen. Women struggle with insecurity twice as much as men. And I believe it's because they experienced it twice during the fall. They experienced that abandonment not just from God, but also from the man himself or from the only relationship that existed. Now, now listen, if you don't believe that the garden affects you, then first off, you don't believe in one of the major doctrines of the Bible called the doctrine of original sin. Uh, theologians virtually across the board believe that what happened in the garden is passed down to you and me, and we are given a fallen, or I think a more accurate way to say it, is a bent nature, bent in the direction of sin. What I mean by that is this. <clears throat> when babies are born, they already have a sin nature. But how many of you know babies don't go to hell, right? Babies, if a baby dies, God doesn't say, well, you got a sin nature, that's it. No, no, there's something called the age of accountability, but if you don't believe that, that, that the garden affects, you know, the nature of a kid, then you've never hung out with a kid, you know. Because, I mean, you know, kids can be mean, cruel, you know, they already know how to lie, cheat, steal. I still remember my two-year-old hiding the cookies behind her back going, I don't have any cookies, you know. And you're like, well, where did you learn that, you know? Where did you, first off, you're dumb, I can see the cookies, you know. But, but, but where did you learn that, you know? I, I mean, I mean it's, just, it's because they have a, they have a nature that, that is fallen, that is bent in the direction of sin. And without Christ, they will follow that nature. Amen? But listen, everything that had happened in the garden affected us. Not just the sin, but the insecurity, the abandonment, and all the rest. How do we get past that? I'll tell you how we get past it. It is the fullness of our redemption in Christ. Now, let me explain this. The cross was not they killed Jesus and that's the deal. The cross was an eight-hour event. The cross itself took, took a day to happen, but, but really every second that Christ was on earth was redemptive. Amen? So in other words, listen, here's what I believe. Not only did Christ take your sin to the cross, he took your insecurity to the cross as well. Amen? The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, three different times people came by the cross and they hurled insults at Christ. Here's what I believe. Every negative word ever spoken over you, Christ took it on the cross. Amen? It's a part of your redemptive package. We know he took stripes on his back for our healing. Your healing is a part of your redemptive package in Christ. We know that he was abandoned by virtually all of his friends. Your abandonment 
was taken on the cross by Christ. You, you in a marriage and somebody left you all alone, Christ took that on the cross. Amen? And so when you receive Christ, it isn't just forgiveness of your sin, as incredible as that is. It isn't just a ticket to heaven, as incredible as that is. It is also relational healing. It is soul-level ministry to your life. You literally, all of your insecurities, all of your dysfunction, Christ took it all on the cross. And I am convinced that the vast majority of us, we live below the redemptive package that Christ provided for us. And how many of you think that's got to end? Amen? How, how many would you say this with me? I want it all. Amen? I want it all. I don't want just forgiveness. I want healing. I want restoration. I want, I want my dysfunction to be gone. I, I want to be able to have relationships on levels that, 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 that I've never even dreamed of before. Amen? Amen. I am so off script. And then finally, number three is our desperate attractions. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm done here. The Bible says that Adam and his wife, they were both naked. They felt no shame. They realized they were naked, Genesis 3-7. I've already done the joke. <laughs> when man and woman, the first couple, was created, they were without sin. They experienced the ultimate purity. And the ultimate purity created the ultimate security. There was no insecurity between them, even to the point of them being naked and not thinking anything about it because they had no insecurity. They were naked, and yet they experienced no shame. Be, before sin, there was no issue with human love and intimacy. And I believe this. If, if sin had an entered into the world, perfect fellowship with God and perfect intimacy with each other even eventually sexual intimacy, would have existed without any conflict. Isn't that amazing? They could have walked with God in the cool of the day and experienced their honeymoon that night. Amen? And it would have, there would have been no conflict. There would have been perfect security. Perfect purity would create perfect security, and the ultimate intimacy could be lived out. But man, that is not where we are today, is it? I counseled a couple some time ago that, let me just say it like this, uh, I was back when I was pastoring, and they had experienced just about everything you can experience sexually. They had brought other people into their marriage bed. Uh, I, I won't go any further than that, but I mean, you whatever perversion you got in your head, get it out, they did it. And... And I remember sitting there, and they were just pouring it out. And I'm just like, I get it. I get it. You had some sex. We get it. And, 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 and no, we want you to know. We want you to know. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying to put wet wipes in my ears, you know, and just, you know, you know come on, man. You know, I get it. I get it. You did some stuff. And, 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 and here's, here's, here's what I started discovering. The first half of the meeting, they're telling me about all the stuff they did. The second half of the meeting, they're telling me how they hate each other. They have no intimacy with each other. The, the, the marriage is basically over. And, and, and I can tell you, my counseling didn't fix it. I mean, I mean it was bad. And, and as they walked out of my office, I'm thinking this. The world tells us that the ultimate sex can create the ultimate intimacy. But it's a lie. Listen, purity is the pathway to intimacy. 
That is what God created. And, and, and get this, the culture tries to steal like this. No, exclusivity is the pathway to intimacy. That's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. When you start to do it God's way, in relationship, amen, purity can, can, can open up the ultimate form of intimacy. You know, you know the, the average smart, quote, smart person in our culture would, would tell you, in, in fact, uh, uh, like, like sex therapists and things like that, they, they, they say this. They say that what messed up America is something called the Victorian period. There was a period in our history, and it was very religiously driven, where women had to cover up every part of their bodies, right? I mean, can't see that ankle, man, you know, or can't see that toe, whatever. I mean, it was just everything. And, and, and they would wear so many. There's actually documented cases where women in the summertime would wear so many clothes that they would die. They would die. It is too hot. They would die. And, and so it messed up. But note this. The most romantic things that we celebrate in our culture today started in the Victorian period. Things like love letters, things like asking permission, uh, Romeo and Juliet type modern day stories all come out of our American history out of the Victorian period. In other words, as, now, again, I'm not, I'm not condoning all of it, but virtue is what demands romance, right? And, and, and we, get, we get this so mixed up, right? So, so when, when I was a little younger, I haven't done one in a while, but I did over 100 purity conferences. I'd have all kinds of young people come to them. And one of the things that we did in our conferences was we'd give out a little heart locket with two keys. And we would tell the kids, we'd say, hey, there's two keys to your heart. One belongs to God, and one belongs to the person that you're going to marry. The most intimate places of your heart are not to be given to anybody else. And so we'd have these kids kind of make this purity commitment that they were going to give their heart to God and eventually give their heart to somebody they're going to marry. And I, I, I gave away thousands of these. And, 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 but there was one story that stood out. It was a young man named Ryan. He was in one of my conferences, and he, 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 uh, he got the heart locket and the two keys. He lived in Montana. And Ryan took, took the key that belonged to God. He went out into the mountains of Montana. He, said, he told me later he said he found a stream, and he pushed that key down in the mud next to the stream. And then he walked away. He said, I, I like closed my eyes so I couldn't find it again. And he said, my key, my heart is buried in God. I don't ever want that key back. I gave it to God. That's powerful. Then he kept the other one. And it was about five or six years later, Ryan called me, and I was friends with him. He'd interned for me, and he said, uh, Pastor Doug, would you do my wedding? He, he agreed to my, my $20,000 fee, and, and, and uh, uh, <laughs> I wish. Uh, pastors don't get paid for weddings, uh, hardly. Uh, but but uh, I, I went and I did his wedding, and I was so excited when he slid across that, t that key. He said, I've been saving my heart for her. And he, sl and he said, can you write this into the ceremony? So I did. And after the wedding, uh, they were out greeting people, and I walked up, and she had a beautiful wedding ring. She looked at me, she said, Pastor Doug, she had that key hanging on, a gold chain. She said, uh, here's a cheap pot metal key. She said, if, if, if a thief come to my house, she said, said, he can have my ring, but he'll have to kill me to get this. That, that's stinking romantic, isn't it? Right? Right? You can have that, by the way. Uh, uh, and and, and uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it is virtue that demands romance. But we have messed this up. We have messed it up. We live in a culture that sells us the exact opposite. So, so you might say, well, Pastor Doug, I am so far from Eden when it comes to this. 
we have done so much, and I've looked at everything, and I know everything, and I, I've done half of it, and I, I get it, okay? So, so, so you say, how can I find my way back home? In, in, a, in, a, in a sexually promiscuous culture, I'm at my time, but I've got to finish. In a, in a sexually promiscuous culture, how can I find my way back home? And here it is. You have to go beyond repentance all the way to restoration. Now let me show you this and I'm done. I have discovered in my ministry that as I pray with people for forgiveness about sexual issues, I can pray with somebody for almost anything, and they walk away, and they are going, I'm good, man. God forgave me. He loves me. But when I pray with them about sexual things, have you ever noticed this? Like you pray with somebody about sexual sin, and it's almost like it just doesn't take. It's like, like they're, they're forgiven, but they still don't feel good. And, and, and I started to, so I started studying the Bible, and, and I found out this. I found out that in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that all other sins we commit are outside of the body. But when we sin sexually, we sin against our own body, right? It is the only sin that the Bible says that about. The great author Beth Moore, she says it like this. When you sin sexually, it, it's almost like the skin of a burn victim. And so you can be forgiven, but then the layers of that sin have to be peeled off by God so that new, healthy skin can grow. In other words, sexual sin is always not just an issue of forgiveness, but is an issue of restoration. A lot of you, you've prayed for forgiveness over the years, but you've never prayed for restoration. I also find it interesting that in 1 Corinthians 6, now listen to this and I'm done. The Apostle Paul said, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute so this is somebody having sex with a prostitute, obviously not something God blesses, is one with her in body. Get that? Now look at the next phrase. For it says the two will become what? This is thousands of years later. Genesis 2 was written a long time before this. But we have Eden language showing up in the New Testament. The very same phrase used in the second to last verse in Genesis chapter 2 is showing up in 1 Corinthians 6. How is this possible? And the context is not sex with a wife, but sex with a prostitute. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? When you have sex outside of God's plan, the exact same oneness that I have created for marriage, it happens in that relationship as well. In other words, whether you think so or not, Sex is not just body and body. Sex is spirit and spirit. It is soul and soul. It is mind and mind. There is something spiritual that happens with sex, even if it is outside of marriage. Now, you can say, Pastor, I don't believe that. Well, go jump off the roof and tell me you don't believe in gravity, all right? When you hit the ground, we'll talk. Because it's just the way it is. It's God's plan. Now, now, now here's, here's, here's the way we celebrate this, right? Whenever somebody gets married, oftentimes this happens. We'll have, we'll have one candle in the middle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you'll have two candles that are lit on both sides. And, and then, and then what will happen is, everybody look right here. What will happen is uh, the couple will come up and they will light, the, light, light the, the, the candle with the two and then they blow out the two. I, I was doing a wedding one time and they lit the middle one and then they blew that one out by accident. And I was like, we better stop. That's a really bad sign. <laughs> I was like... Like, are you sure? And we just kind of redid it. Uh, but, but what we are saying when we do that, everybody look, look at me. I know we're done. Everybody, what we're saying when we do that is this. What we're saying is something is about to happen, right? 
It's not happening before our eyes because that would just be gross. It's going to happen later on the honeymoon, right? That it, it, it is, it, in our culture, we call it consummating the wedding, right? In Jewish culture, they actually would not have the celebration until the couple went off and consummated the ceremony because they were saying it's not real until the two become one. And what we're saying when we, when we light that candle is we're, we're not just saying they're about to have sex. We're about to say something spiritual is about to happen. And if you follow the language, the Apostle Paul says it like this, and, and, and the two will become one flesh, and in the Greek it actually says it like this, and, and no man can put that asunder. Paul applies that same language to sex with a prostitute. In other words, whenever you come together, I, I don't want to be too graphic here, but in front of that pornography screen, in that relationship with that person that's not married, uh, perhaps in a, in, in a relationship gender to gender, which the Bible doesn't endorse. And there's this oneness that is created. And then, and then because God hasn't blessed it, nine times out of ten, you have to break yourself away from that. You know what happens? Pieces of you are left behind. And then we have people walking around, and they're just not whole. And then we wonder why we're so dysfunctional. And we wonder why our relationships are so bad. Right? But here's the good news. I know the surgeon of heaven. Amen? And he knows where every piece that you have given away. I don't care if it's thousands of them. I don't care if you don't even know all the names. Amen? How I many of you know God kept track? Amen? And not so he could condemn you, but so that he could make you whole again. God kept track. I prayed with a little girl one time at a camp that I was doing. She was 11 years old when she had sex for the first time. She's sitting in front of me at 13, so divided. She had prayed for forgiveness a thousand times. I actually told her that night, no more praying for forgiveness. She's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm pretty sure God is sick of hearing about it. I said, your issue's not forgiveness, sweetheart. She said, what is it? I said, it's wholeness. It's wholeness. Every time you compromise, you left a piece of yourself behind. But good news, good news, we're going to pray for restoration tonight. I watched the light bulbs come on in her eyes. She looked at me after we said amen. She said, I can feel God again. It's back, it's back, it's back. Why? Because sexual sin isn't just an issue of forgiveness. It's an issue of restoration. But good news, just like God answers those forgiveness prayers every time, he answers our restoration prayers every time too. Amen? So, so, so let's, let's pray some prayers. Let's, let's, let's watch God just do something special uh, here this morning, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll hand it back.